This is Offspin. Lot of people do this. Uh, they believe that all they need is some money to handle emergencies, and I can just stay invested in equity. The underlying belief with that thought process is, in the long term, the stock market will always move up. Stay invested, say twenty, thirty years. Eventually, you'll be fine. That, you hear so much of that, right? The, and they talk about the economy. India is shining. India is just going to be a superpower. So you got a cash in and so on. I don't think those two are directly related. Mm. You know, um, vaguely they are related, I would say. But that doesn't mean your particular experience can be the uh, stellar. Can be can give you stellar returns. That may or may not happen. So you're basically gambling with your entire. Life savings, I would say, if you're just going to put it only in equity, that's just going to be too risky. I don't think you can afford to take the risks when you are investing very little. I think you should have a balance in your portfolio. You should build your portfolio slowly, and especially when there is a extended, there can be a ten-year sideways market. And sure. I, I'm sure many of these people who claim 100% equity, they won't last. You can't uh, afford to stay invested like that. That with that kind of temperament, I think you should have a balance of uh, caution and uh, calculated risks. This is that off-spin original you've all been waiting for. It's time for let's get rich with Patu. Welcome back to part two of What Next? Rebalancing, de-risking. Part two, we ended part one on a tantalizing note on how to rebalance. Right? Some people say, you know, when the going is good and suddenly my equity has gone higher, perhaps more than the five percent that you've recommended. What if in the next few months I put more of fixed income? Isn't that a good way of rebalancing? What do you have to say about that? So uh, that. Will usually work when um, you have just started the journey, and uh, uh, in maybe in the next two three months you can reset your and reach your close to your target allocation just by adjusting amount. So let's say your equity is five percent more, so you invest more in fixed income for the next two three months, and you can get close to that. Sure. But uh, as you you know keep investing and as your uh, portfolio grows in value. Uh, That's going to take longer and longer and longer. Interesting. And if that's going to take six months, during those six months there can be a big crash. And this can, yeah. And then that will result in you know oh my god I should have uh, you know pulled out when I had the opportunity to do it. And it would take years, uh, you know, at some stage because the amount that you're going to invest is going to be so small compared to the amount that you have to pull out. After your portfolio has grown a size, that it makes it's a no-brainer. It's it's you have to pull out to safeguard that. So mm. yeah, so initially it's fine, but at some point we have to get over this fear of. Uh, so there's two things. One is the fear of pulling out of a winner, and the other is fear of tax. Exactly right. So that's a, a very key point because you've done it only three or four times in your journey. Perhaps you avoided 
tax, right? Because long-term capital gains or whatever no, it is. Uh, no, you have to pay the tax, but you don't have to pay it every year. Right. So that's why I, this is called threshold rebalancing. So your threshold is 5%. So once it hits that threshold, only you uh, rebalance. So you don't have, you're going to pay tax only every few years, which is fine. You can't. But what if you rebalance every year and it's continually going up 5% every year? Is Does that tax then balance out and is it still um, the right way to do it? If you do it every year, then probably it's going to hurt you a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, but but risk-wise, uh, it has been shown, uh, I have done the backtesting also, that threshold rebalancing is good enough. So the, the, the basic idea of rebalancing is this. Without rebalancing, your portfolio is going to go that way. With rebalancing, your portfolio is going to be that way. And you want it to be as close to that line, as you said. As that is all. So that's where the thing is. So and may I push you on how this figure of 5% has been calculated? Oh, it's Why can't it be 10? Yeah, it's arbitrary. You can choose 10%. Right. It's quite arbitrary. But the problem is that the trade-off is that if you're going to wait until 10%, within that 10%, there More can be... Spikes. Uh, yeah. So that's the trade-off. So you can sort of... I mean, it's, that, it's hugging that line, basically, uh, that as matters. closely as you can, so that you don't fall off. All right, next question on rebalancing is, say we've crossed the 5% or 10%, whatever it is that you're following, Preferably 5% as Patu recommends. Now I'm looking at my equity portfolio. Like, Which ones of those do I sell? How does one decide on what part of equity to sell? Yeah, this is always a, a big problem. So sometimes uh, if you're lucky, even during a uh, bull market, one or two of your uh, stocks may still be in loss. Then it's a no-brainer you get rid of them because mm. uh, you're not going to pay tax on it. And you get some money, but because they're in loss, it's not. It may not be enough for you to uh, complete that rebalancing task. So, so you can start off that. The next is typically most of our portfolios are cluttered, right? There's going to be always uh, uh, two, three stocks from the same industry, uh, two, three mutual funds from the same category, and so on. So, this is perhaps a good opportunity to do some do a haircut. So, get rid of some uh, which has a huge overlap in style of business, style of uh, mutual fund investing and so on, get rid of them. So that can be your next line of attack. Uh, then finally, you come to your winners. Uh, mm. If if the two steps I mentioned is enough for you to hit your rebalancing Rebalance, target, yeah. then it's fine. You, uh, you escape this time, maybe the next time you have to uh, touch your winners. But if it is not enough, then you'll have to touch your winners and pull out some money. So it's you have to go in that order. Is it the same logic for mutual funds as well? Um, but yeah, what if it, all my money in equity is just in the Nifty 50 index funds? Then there's no. Then question. it's very easy. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Just sell those amount of units and then that's it. Fair enough. All right. So have we covered everything about rebalancing? And is it perhaps time to go into de-risking, which is a completely different topic, which is age-related? Is that what de-risking is all about? Age of the goal. Uh, it's related. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I would say, yeah. Because yeah, when you need the money is what makes a difference. Uh, yeah. So I think we have covered most of uh, things about rebalancing, except for some technicalities about why it's useful and so on. But for that, we need to talk about charts. But I have the data on the site so people can look at it. So yeah, we can now talk about uh, de-risking. So de-risking, uh, as I mentioned, is you can't stay invested at that target asset allocation of 50, 60%, 70% equity forever. So you need to have a plan to reduce this equity uh, asset allocation down the line. But 
the most important point which most people do not appreciate is this plan to reduce equity should be done now because Could you repeat that again so, so uh, like i said you can't stay invested at let's say 60 70% equity and you have to reduce it over time yes one is so let me put it this way how are you going to reduce it many people would say uh, and these people have a conflict of interest often they would say that just 3 years before your gold deadline you start reducing your equity hmm. and i have shown you with back tests that that is not enough to handle sequence of returns risks if you get a poor uh, set of uh, returns during the investing period then you will fall short of your corpus your intended corpus so uh, reducing equity allocation just 3 years 5 years before your gold deadline is too late right so you need to have a gradual tapering just like you taper down medicines uh, when you take them long term so there are two kinds of taper one is the kind of you know linear straight yeah linear taper so particular fixed percentage per year perhaps so. something like that yeah. or you can do a slightly curved taper like Fair that enough. or you can do a step by step taper right. like that like that so all the three will reasonably work i mean you can't say one is better than the other and so on that would be hair splitting uh because you you don't know how the future is going to pan out so but you should have this kind of a design in mind the point i'm trying to make is this design should be done today ah why because you would when you start your goal planning you would say i want 12% from equity i want uh, 7% from fixed income and you would have taken a uh, 50% of that 50% of this to get you a portfolio return right that yes. is your expected portfolio return but if you are going to do a taper your portfolio return is also going to follow that taper so you can't plan your target corpus with the expected portfolio return on year 1 hmm that would be an uh, you know you would uh, underestimate the investment amount needed because you if you take into account this decrease in the portfolio return then you will have to invest a little more so you have to understand how much you have to invest more and do that follow that from day one right so that is why the de risking plan is crucial that is why in my robot advisory tool and some so on i have this auto mapped you can do this automatically so that's why you need to plan for this first and once you have this planned and you can stick to that investment schedule one the second is rebalancing is what happens uh within those steps so let's say you have a three step de-risking plan sure. first step second step and third step so this step let's say is 5 years which is 50 50 say the starting yeah okay in these 5 years you look at whenever your uh, equity or debt crosses that 5% threshold either way you do a rebalance sure so you're going to reset your uh, asset allocation in that step so that's your rebalance but sure. after the fifth year you're going to change your rebalance down to the next step let's say from 50% equity you're gone to 45% equity okay and then you're going to reduce it down and so, in that step you keep rebalancing as well yeah and so on, and so on, and so on. so that is that is the essential idea of de risking but in your robo advisory tool or is there a thumb rule that is at work which is a percentage of your corpus as you start achieving is that how it works or no it is just, it just age to the finished uh, to the deadline that is a crucial point so how much right. time you have left because that determines the risk that you can take right so if you have 
40 years to a goal, then those steps can come later. So you can you can start investing uh, at a fixed target uh, asset allocation and then start the taper later. But if you have only 15 years, the taper would start much earlier. So that is the crucial point. Fair enough. So no real thumb rules you have. Uh, you prefer everyone goes and checks out this robo-advisory tool and then enters numbers and will that That's help? That's one way to do it though. You can do DIY. I mean, the point is you must have the belief that this de-risking is essential. Right. That is, that is important. If you don't uh, say, no, no, I will just keep invested in equities all through my life. That kind of a very bravado kind of scenario. Sir. See, uh, that brings me to the example of my child's portfolio I talked about. Now, I don't need to do de-risking for my child's portfolio. Because I've already done it. Hmm. Because I've you already... You said you've already reached the target amount in your debt part. So I've already done it. So I have done it via rebalancing. Because hmm. the markets were kind to me. So it, your journey is going to be very different from my journey. It, it is just so that I was lucky enough to go through those 2-3 bull runs. Whatever I made the most of it and pulled out twice a year. Your uh, The listeners, viewers journey may be very different. Yeah. So... Uh, they should believe in the de-risking. As long as they believe in it, it's a matter of DIY. You can DIY if you want. You don't need the tool. All right. Uh, now we take a little bit of a sideways turn and go slowly back to basics because we start analyzing questions that have come in on this particular topic, right? And the first one, which is applicable to almost everyone in terms of rebalancing, in terms of what next, since our big topic is what next, uh, I don't know if you have this debate in your home to every month or every few months about how much to keep in the savings bank account. Uh, is there a thumb rule of that? Because the debate and the all, the clash is, hey, it's just sitting there. It should be at work. It should be invested. But then, of course, you say, hey, I might need that amount, right? So, and how do you look at an emergency fund and a savings bank separately? Uh, and what are your thoughts on this entire topic? So, yeah. So, we talked about the importance of an emergency fund. So, I yes. think... Uh, shoring up enough reserves there in the emergency fund is it is six to nine to twelve times your monthly expenses. Yes, that that is the first step. You don't start investing. You don't talk about 60-70 percent equity before you do that because right. and that's if, typically in an RD, right? A recurring yeah, deposit. You yeah. can so I would recommend uh, that your salary account or your primary business account where you're getting the, you know, all the clients money yeah, and so Current on. account for a proprietor or a business owner versus a savings bank account where your salary is coming in for a salary. That, that should not be part of your emergency fund. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Because that is your day to day thing. And uh, you can put your emergency fund in a recurring part of it in a recurring deposit on online FD. There are something called flexi deposits also available where part of it you can pull out part of the FD without breaking it, the rest of the money will get from some returns and so on. So it doesn't matter as long as you can break it right. immediately. For example, uh, 10 years ago, my, my mom fell and mm -hmm. I immediately knew it was a fracture. So I called for an ambulance. I uh, went to my uh, bank account online, broken FD. The money came to my SB account. I just went and used that, pulled it out from my ATM and used it. And that was your emergency fund that you broke? Okay. Something like that. I mean, see, beyond the point, everything becomes your emergency fund. <laughs> so, when you see, the notion of an emergency fund is very important when you're starting. Yeah. Ten years later, you, you would have built some wealth with some mm. luck. Then what your emergency fund is, what your net worth is, the, those lines become blurry. 
Okay. So, so the po- but I'm the, getting a sense there's very little in your savings bank account. Uh, I don't have a savings bank. I don't put money there. I mean, it's there. So most of it gets spent or invested. So the right. so once you have these uh, you know demarcations, what I would recommend is that look, you're going to get money. Let's say on the first of the month. Uh, you don't go and be in a rush to invest. Interesting. Be- because you are, don't know what the next 30 days are going to be like. Hmm. So, but you do a planning, you do a budget, you're going to say, this is what I'm going to invest. All these are, uh, all these make uh, a difference when you are young, when your income levels are low. When hmm. you're earning 10 times more than your monthly expenses, you don't care. But hmm. when you're young, these things matter. They are a crucial thing. So you make a budget and you say this month, this is my, this is our target expenses. Like I, we talked about the envelope system, uh, you know, where you put them money in envelopes. Of course, people don't use money now. They all use UPA for everything. That's yeah. a different matter. But wherever you have these mental buckets, however way you do it, you have your buckets. Uh, once uh, three weeks are over, then you have some money remaining. That money you can invest comfortably when you are, you know, when you, of course, leaving aside some money for the rest of the month. Then you invest. That way, it's... This is so counter everything we're told, right? First invest and then build yeah, the habit, build no, the discipline. No, the thing is that, no, uh, what that literally means is that you are in your spreadsheet, you are going to say, I'm going to invest this month, this much and I'm going to spend this much. Yeah. It's an entry. That entry is what invest first means. When you actually put it into action is up depending on your comfort level. You can't mm. be spending. So, so suppose, suppose let's say I'm investing two times, three times my expenses. I can't afford to invest that much at the start of the month. Yeah. Then I may be in trouble with my expenses later on. So I don't want to get into that sort of trouble. I'm saying that you know, put it in paper and stick to it. Right. So your thumb rule for the savings bank account is look at it monthly. Uh, what about these people, and I know a few and some are in my family who have massive savings accounts because it's a comfort factor and that money is just not earning anything. They will have to do a, a goal-based planning exercise and slowly shift it. I wrote about that also. See, I ask these things in my corporate meets and typically what happens is uh, the... Um, it's either the husband or the wife. One person is more interested in money management. The other person's money is just sleeping in fixed deposits. Yeah. They either they put it in, leave it in SB or they, okay, they say, okay, FD gives you a little more, say they put, they put it in FD. That's a very uh, wasteful way of managing your money. I think you should look at your goals and take risks when you can. Because if you can't take those kind of 50%, 60% equity when you are 55 or 50 or 45 even. So you have to make hay when the sun shines. So Patu, now this is a particular question that has come in and I'm going to read it out and let's try and then decode it. If my emergency funds are taken care of by my death corpus, why not just keep investing in equity without any target allocation? Um, how does one start to respond to this? I think <laughs> a lot of people do this. Uh, they believe that all they need is some money to handle emergencies and I can just stay invested in equity. Um, the underlying belief with that thought process is in the long term, the stock market will always move up. Stay invested, say 20, 30 years, eventually you'll be fine. That, you hear so much of that, right? 
the, and they talk about the economy india is shining india is going to be a superpower so you got a cash in and so on i don't think those two are directly related mm. you know um, vaguely they are related i would say but that doesn't mean your particular experience can be the uh, stellar can we can give you stellar returns that may or may not happen so you're basically gambling with your entire life savings i would say if you're just going to put it only in equity that's just going to be too risky you should i think uh, equity investing and the risk appetite associated with equity investing is a journey in of itself because you're going to learn lessons along the way um and it's better to take risks when you're comfortably positioned with respect to money like i told you about my child's portfolio and so on you can take the risk you can afford to take the risks i don't think you can afford to take the risks when you're investing very little i think you should have a balance in your portfolio you should build your portfolio slowly and especially when there is a extended there can be a 10 year sideways market and sure. i i'm sure many of these people who claim 100% equity they won't last you can't uh, afford to stay invested like that that with that kind of temperament i think you should have a balance of uh, caution and uh, calculated risks so right. and i think a, a similar question to this is if my fixed income corpus is good enough and i and i highlight good enough because i didn't quite understand what good enough is perhaps uh, this is a common question and common thought that keeps coming up if my fixed income corpus is good enough can i stop de-risking and continue to have i exposure to equity i think that good enough is the problem there right yeah it depends on how you uh, evaluate it uh, from my experience many people make mistakes they assume that's enough i it depends so for example let's say um i have 40x in my fixed income then yes you can take those risks if right. i don't have if i don't have uh, if i have only 10x or 15x in my fixed income no you you can't take those risks so it depends so you you That's should so know cool. how to evaluate okay so on that note let's close this two part series on what next but to please help me as i wrap up these two episodes number one is in the initial parts of your investing journey it is enough to look at your corpus once a year right patu yes perhaps twice i know the human tendency is to look at it every day we can't perhaps stop you doing that but the actual reassessment and analysis and then when you take action should ideally be once a year as patu says half an hour now in that half an hour the important things to look at are one is if you've been regular in your putting in money at regular intervals whether you're a freelancer whether you're a salaried individual and don't pressurize yourselves with sips uh it's totally fine to be a laggard to miss for a couple of months then the second important thing to look at is how much you're lagging behind and have a plan for catching up so these are the two three things then look at rebalancing every time you hit the 5% threshold make sure you go back to your target yeah. uh, allocation and of course then long term through your investing journey over many decades keep de-risking yeah. and a thumb rule for you but to would be reduced by 5% in favor of fixed income increase 5% in favor of fixed income every 5 years is that a thumb rule is yeah. that a nice summation of these two episodes and what yeah. final thoughts yes so uh, just one caveat with the uh, de-risking part is that 
so if the goal is going to be something like a child's uh, education so then this de-risking uh, in favor of fixed income should be almost complete so because uh, at the time your child starts college most of your money should be in fixed income maybe 10% you can leave because you can say there's four years of UG and then few more years of uh, PG etc so you can leave a little bit in equity not not too much so so say if the benchmark is 18 years for your child uh, by by the time the child is 13 or 14 it should typically all be in fixed income um uh, no that would be too yeah i mean you more uh, by 13 or 14 i would say your portfolio will be predominantly fixed income maybe 70% fixed income something like that that's something you have to chart out uh, i can't uh, you know offhand say it but the point i want to make is that in those kind of ca cases anything other than retirement the at the time of the gold deadline most of your money uh, is going to be in fixed income because you're going to spend most of your money in one shot maybe two times two installments ug pg right. something like that but in the case of retirement it's a slightly different ball game because at when you start retirement you're going to start spending uh, from your corpus withdrawing from your corpus for the next couple of decades maybe even three decades Yes. So, how much equity are you going to have at the start of retirement makes a lot of difference. So, um, let's say if you're going to start with 50-60% equity, uh, equity and depending on how long you've been investing and how much the corpus actually is valued at the time of retirement, you'll have to decide your fixed, uh, equity allocation. So, it's not easy to do it, but assuming that you have hit your retirement corpus goal, then I would recommend not more than 25 to 30% in equity in retirement. Start of retirement. In retirement as well, yeah. In retirement. Fascinating. For me, the two take-homes, Patu, was all about this mental restructuring I have to do for myself of willing to skim from the stuff that's doing well in my portfolio, which is typically equity, right? And the greed of wanting it to do more. And taking stuff and conserving it for the future. I think that's a mental process everyone has to go through. Hug that line, as Patu says, so that, you know, you're not way off it in that smooth line towards reaching your target corpus. And yeah, on a monthly basis or as regularly as you can, try and push in as much as you can. I think that's the, uh, the aggression you need, not the aggression in the stock market and not the aggression in your portfolio. Three amazing thoughts. Thank you so much, Patu. I think it's been a very unique two episodes where you don't find much on the internet about this. So thank you for that. And see you on the next episode of Let's Get Rich with Patu. Yeah, it was great talking about it. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. You just heard Let's Get Rich with Patu, an Offspin original. Isn't it the coolest show you've heard in the Indian podcasting space? And even if it isn't, what's the point of getting rich alone, right? Share this show with those you care about and perhaps even with those you don't care about. But make sure you share this show with only those who you don't mind being richer than you. The music on this show was created by Patu's biggest fan, Rajesh Ravi, and everyone on the Offspin team had some part or the other to play on the show. Let me name them quickly. Harshdi Nisrani, Krishank Das, Sandeep Banerjee, Arif Chagla, Anand Krishnan, Rajesh Ravi and Heer Khan. Here, by the way, is also to be blamed for giving Patu his gangster look, which is how he looks on a daily basis. Um, and me, Sidhan, your host. Let's Get Rich is available on all audio platforms wherever you consume your podcasts. So spread the word and we'll see you next week. Listener.
you know we do this show only to help you guys right but if you're listening and you're that one person who has perhaps lost money and are holding it against Patu or me for making you lose that money then not only are you a mean person but you also need to listen to this legal disclaimer this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute any financial advice views expressed are not official positions of financial institutions or Patu or mine for that matter Although we strongly believe in them, listen to this disclaimer even more carefully. We recommend consulting a qualified professional before making decisions. We disclaim liability for inaccuracies or losses from using this information in our show. By listening you agree that the host, guests and producers are not only awesome people, but they are not responsible for your financial decisions or outcomes. This is Offspin. Offspin.